A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? Some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way we're off To watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watch out, boy. She'll chew you up. He's a watch eater, and you're listening to Watchmen Watch. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And I'm Pete. And we are very excited. We have a very embarrassed right now guest uh, on the show <laughs> <laughs> by my terrible intro. Uh, yeah. But thank you very much for being here. He is a writer for New York Mag and Vulture, uh, one of the good friends of our live show as well, Comic Book Club, Abe Reisman. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, yep. thank you for having me. I, I, I'm not embarrassed. I, I love uh, listening to your intros. You're very good at them. <laughs> thank <laughs> they, you very much. What a compliment. That's not great. <laughs> uh, so we're excited to have you here. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff on this podcast because this is a very busy week for Watchmen ancillary stuff. And this is the bonus episode for episode bonus. three going just out in the Watchmen watch feed. Um, there was the new Watchmen podcast. There's a Watchmen record. There's new PDpedia. You know how much I love that PDpedia, right, Pete? Sure. Great. Thank you for your enthusiastic <laughs> <laughs> response. Stop saying record, you old man. It's a record. What am it I supposed to record. call it? It's, it's a, an LP. It's a vinyl LP? Yeah. LP is yeah. the thing An LP take? or an album. Oh Record is an entirely appropriate thing to call it, I would say, if it's on vinyl. Thank you very yeah, much, Abe. This is why gotcha. we had a guest this episode. Yeah, this is what you're doing, Zalb. You want someone on your side because you're sick and tired of getting beat up. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm you keep bringing you. in outsiders who yeah. agree with you. Slowly going to work you guys out of the show. Now, Abe, uh, here's the main thing that I wanted to talk with you about yeah. to start off here. You put out a huge article right before Watchmen, Ooh. the show, premiered. Uh, where you did a very extensive interview with Damon Lindelof, the showrunner for the show. Uh, but your conversation with him actually started much earlier, around the time that he started even thinking about doing the show. Uh, and it all seemed to come off of an article you had done being pretty critical uh, about DC deciding to sequelize Watchmen in what we now know as Doomsday Clock. Uh, how did that come about? How did that happen? What was that initial um, contact you know, or phone call like? It, it, it's it's funny, you know, writing about geekdom and comics and um, the intersection between those that, that sort of assortment of genres and mediums. Um, it sometimes leads you to like be doing feature coverage, but then you also get to do some commentary here and there on the side. And because there's just like not enough people to go around to have like one dedicated comics critic and one dedicated comics features writer. So I'd done um, a lot of stuff. And uh, one thing that I did was be a little critical once about um, <laughs> the potential for Doomsday Clock, although we didn't know it was going to be called Doomsday Clock at the time, to go wrong. Um, I thought there was a, a chance that it could it could, you know, be a misfire. And um, I sort of tossed this column out into the void 
ego, maybe someone will read it, who knows. And I didn't get this massive response for it, but I did get an email from a coworker, and the email said, do you want to get in touch with Damon Lindelof because he'd like to speak to you? Now, I had no idea what this was in reference to. Wow. I, there, there was no mention of the column. It was just Damon Lindelof would like to speak to you. And oh I figured... Principal wants to see you. I get... No, why? <laughs> no. So it was... I thought, I'll talk to anybody. I'll interview anybody. I'll... You know, it's, it's, it's good to be in the know. So we had a phone conversation. I can't get into detail about every aspect of it. But yes, what I'm at liberty to say is that he was... He had been approached about it because he's, he's written about this elsewhere. But he uh, had been approached three times, allegedly, uh, about doing this show. And the first two times he'd said no, he says... And then on the third time, he thought, well, maybe I could turn it into something. And uh, so he called me around when he was thinking about that third time. He'd been asked, and he was like, hey, you seem like somebody who's going to have a critical opinion about... Sorry, we, we got linked up, and we got on the phone, and it was like, you seem like somebody who would be critical of somebody doing Watchmen badly and who might think that it's unethical to be done in the first place. And I wanted to bounce my ideas off of you for this, this project that might happen. So I'm rambling. But basically, we had then, over the course of the next few years, a, a slight correspondence. We, this was not like I was consulting on the show or anything. But You're his muse. I am You're not his muse. His muse. <laughs> you are no his way. muse. I am in no way his muse. Uh, but You're we were, our muse. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. That's the nicest thing anyone's we, ever said We've always said um, that. So uh, we kept a, a light correspondence. I didn't know what was going on in the show. Um, I just saw the promos like everybody else did. And um, I told him, you know, we had had that conversation. He'd bounced some ideas off of me. And this is sort of an unconventional arrangement. But it's like, I don't know, it seemed reasonably ethical. I'll let the readers be the, the judge. But uh, I said, like, you know, in exchange for that conversation, you should let me have a big interview. And he said, uh, a, his exact quote was, a Lindelof always pays his debts. And um, <laughs> so we ended up having a long conversation in, Los, uh, in his uh, Santa Monica office uh, about a week before the show premiered. And um, so uh, the debt was repaid. And uh, awesome. I, you're, you're kind to say it was a huge article. I, 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 you know, it, was, it was nice to see it get a little bit of pickup. But, um, you know, I... I, I, I it was, it was good. It was, it was a good conversation, and I think it came out well in the end. Sorry, I'm not being as articulate as I'd like to be about it. But uh, so you, Let me ask you, when he first pitched it to you, were, were you like, ah, oh, that's a shit idea? Um, I don't and then get... he like, worked on it and came back and re-pitched it to you? No, I, well, it wasn't quite that. I don't want to get into the details of the, the conversation. No, sure, um, sure, sure. But, that's fine. But it was... Um, it was it was an interesting and productive phone call, and he, you know, whatever you think about the ethics of making Watchmen, he's somebody who's undeniably put a lot of thought into every single aspect of him yeah. doing the project, and then how the project has been executed. So that's um, that's pretty to cool, know. though. Yeah. That very that you were in that interesting position. Yeah, it was it was a it was interesting. I and I, you you pitched him you pitched him the idea for the big blue dildo. Uh, yes, that was. Hey, I think that was Lila Biok's idea. She was tweeting about that. Yeah, she, uh, nah. the person who co-wrote the was, episode. Yeah, there he are a couple of. You were like, listen, how much blue cock is going to be in this? That show? was because something. I need more yes, blue cock. Absolutely. If you're going to do Watchmen, and it doesn't have that ding dong. Then really, is it Watchmen? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. This is jumping ahead to the episode a little bit. And I do want to get back to the interview and just your general thoughts about the show. But yes, it was the co-writer of the episode. And Damon Lindelof has done a couple of interviews about that where he said, oh, the, it was her. She came up with the idea. Everybody sort of laughed in the room and then she kept pushing it. And a number of the female writers really, no pun intended, but like fleshed it out and figured out what it was and why it was wow. important. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. Sorry, wow. don't You're focus better on than that. that. Come on. No, I'm not. I'm not better than that. But my point being, it's, it's this funny thing where he's like, Fleshed I want to give all muscle. credit to every other writer except for me, where it's felt like, that wasn't me, buds. You know, yeah. But at Hands the same off. time, like, it's nice of him to give credit. Uh, and to that end, I mean, this is something that came out of that interview you gave that I did think was interesting when I was reading through it. And it's come out through subsequent interviews as well, where he seems very ready to throw the credit to other people, oh, yeah. which isn't necessarily a rarity for showrunners, but certainly different. And, and I was curious to get your impression on that, Abe, based on the conversation. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that came through in our conversation was... Damon has a lot of feelings about whether or not he should have done the show in the first place. And um, I think, well, I, if, if he is to be believed, he uh, does not feel proud of the show, not on a craft level, but just because he feels like maybe I shouldn't have made the show in the first place because of all these creator rights issues, which I'm sure you've already gotten into. So um, I think there's part of him that is feeling really willing to give other people credit because he just sort of like feels so awkward being <laughs> the guy who's like associated with the show and like people sort of might boil it down to just being him. And like, I think it's a combination of the fact that he really does genuinely value the craft that um, his, his, uh, uh, collaborators um, put into the show, but also, you know, maybe this is just speculation, but maybe it, it eases his conscience a little bit if he's like, other people mm -hmm. did it too. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's talk about your impressions of the show then, because certainly I know, as you've mentioned and as you've touched on, you're very into artist rights. There's big issues that we have touched on time and again on this podcast in terms of sure. uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Um, stealing is probably the wrong word, but certainly we're taken advantage of in certain ways by DC Comics. And it seems like Dave Givens has made his piece of that. But a lot of folks think that Watchmen should never be sequelized, never be continued in any way because of this. Uh, my impression is that you fall at least a little bit into that camp, but still have watched the show. Sure, what yeah. Are your, what are your I thoughts mean, in that direction? Maybe, maybe that's unethical to watch it. I don't know. This is You get into like the complicated politics of, of, of what a journalist's responsibility is. But, um, I, uh, look, I, I will make no apology for sympathizing with workers in labor management disputes. And, um, yes, what happened was not uh, by at least the, the story that's out there was not illegal. Um, but it certainly violated the spirit of the initial agreement and I don't have all of the facts. I only know what I, you know, what basically everybody else knows uh, because, you know, I, I try as I might, I have not interviewed Alan Moore. I have not looked through the Alan Moore records. You know, I, I don't have access to the whole thing, but I know his version of the story and kind of what is spoken about in, in comics lore. And it's very upsetting. You know, I, I, I'm, I, at the same time, I feel like, 
I have a responsibility to watch the show because it's something that is very newsworthy and there's a lot happening uh, like in the wider world as a result of it. People are really getting influenced by it. So I, you know, it's a tough question. I, I, I wish I had a, a firm, easy answer to exactly how to engage with this stuff or not engage with it. But um, I, I get where the creator rights argument is coming from. There, we we talked about this a little bit on the recap podcast for episode three, which just went up previously in the feed. Uh, and I think Justin, you and I were not necessarily in disagreement, but certainly went in opposite directions about the episode because my personal feeling, I think this was the first one where I felt like it's really co- coalescing. It's really coming into sequelizing Watchmen. You have Laurie Brake coming in. They're talking on the phone potentially to Dr. Manhattan. Uh, you have the actual reveal that Jeremy Irons, yes, in fact, is playing Adrian Veidt, and he puts on the Ozymandias costume. And as thrilling as it is to see these characters again, there was certainly a part of me that felt like, uh, I don't know. I, I was so happy with Angela Abar and what was going on in Tulsa yeah, that they were yeah. just sort of skimming the surface that it felt like it started to get too close, even as Jean Smart was fantastic at the entire oh, episode. She was, was so, so well good. Done. So good. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Sorry. Did you have more you wanted to say? Or am no, I? no, no. I'm just. No, I get I get. Point. No, it's fine. No, I, I, I get it. There there were moments when, um, you know, specific references would be made or it would get a little close to being on the nose. And it's it's hard not to get a little irritated with that. But at the same time, you have to remember that, like, there's... Watchmen has long been about, you know, um, callbacks and intertextual references. So having those with... Juxtaposition. Yeah, juxtaposition right. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so... Um, you know, it can be a little distracting, but at the same time, it's sort of, I feel like, of a piece with what the show is trying to do. And, you know, anything that gives me more Gene Smart is just always going to be something I'm not going to be too upset about. She's just the bomb. So good. I, I mean, that was my feeling. It, like, this, the show's Watchmen. Like, they can't just dance around it the whole time. Correct. Otherwise, it's, it's a different show. And the way they... Uh, just weaved in so much, so many of the characters without having to see Night Owl and everybody just sure, like, hey, yeah. here I am, I am gray now, or whatever the the thirty year changes. Yeah. I thought it was just really well done, and it made it truly the Watchmen show, while not losing any of the momentum of all the more interesting like uh, race commentary and everything that sure. uh, was going on before. Totally. Yeah. Can I also give my really quick? I want to give my fan cast for mm-hmm. um, who I want to have be revealed as playing uh, Night Owl. Yeah, Paul Reiser. I think Paul Reiser is exactly <laughs> what I want from that. Wow, I know that's wow. great. I mean, he's busy with Spectrum's Mad About You revival and oh, that's several right. other things. <laughs> Alex, don't throw your Mad About You shade here. All right. Listen, nobody wants. I that. have. Always, you know this. I have always wanted to see Paul Reiser's penis, and if we could oh. see that on the show, I'd be chef's kiss. Very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys? Do you, Justin? Do you, Pete? Do you have a a fan cast for Night Owl? Mm, I mean, Paul Reiser's good. He's so goofy. 
But uh, I, I know. But I feel like he'd want to, like, you know, have an opportunity to bring the pathos, right? Like, I feel like you give him an HBO role, and you're like, you're on a prestige show here. You'd get to see a new side of Paul Reiser. I feel like you'd, you'd, you'd get a different Paul Reiser. Is there yeah. a new side to Paul Reiser that we haven't seen yet? I mean, I don't know. are you giving him too much credit? I, I don't uh, know why I, you guys no, are so no, He's done some cool stuff. He's Can I take yeah, a step was, back here? Because yeah. in my head, I got mixed up. You said Night Owl, but I was like, what I heard was Paul Reiser is Dr. Manhattan. That, no, that's I, what I said the thing about the penis. I assume that I when you started talking about Paul Reiser's penis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, unless you thought that Night Owl was going to be completely nude the entire time. I mean, it's HBO. You can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, let's yeah. see it. Man, they killed horses for one of those shows, so they're good to go on whatever. <laughs> that was more of an accident, uh, I think, Alex. Eh, debatable. Good. Um, so so uh, anyway, Larry David is Night Owl. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, there's a lot of other things to talk about in the world sure. of Watchmen this week, so I do want to jump into them. The, the first one... This seems, uh, talking about artist rights, this seems like a huge infringement on our intellectual property. It seems like there's another Watchmen podcast being done by oh, HBO. You know, you hate to see it. You really yeah. hate to see it. They'll be hearing from uh, your lawyers. So this is the official Watchmen podcast debuted after Sunday night's episode. It's hosted by Craig Mazin, who is the mm. creator of Chernobyl on HBO and did a Chernobyl podcast that was pretty Why fantastic. Why did they wait till three episodes in to then release a Watchmen official podcast? This is what I'm was saying. It, you got to do 13 episodes before you get to the show. That's the I think what happened is they gave us... They gave us a chance, and then you guys filmed one without me, and then they're like, well, we got to have a, another <laughs> podcast. You know? Oh, wow. So Craig uh, Mason is the you. P of yes. uh, his uh, own so podcast. So the way that they're releasing them, they're doing them every three episodes. So I believe there's going to be three episodes of the podcast, and it's just uh, Craig Mason <laughs> and Damon Lindelof sitting down and having a conversation. Uh, I will say, not, I do want to talk about some things for the podcast. First of all, it's a very good conversation, so I do highly recommend checking it out. Uh, but it does feel like... Other wow. poc- are you telling people to stop listening the, to our podcast no, the, and then go listen to some <laughs> other podcast right now? Pete. I got to say, Pete, there is room for multiple podcasts in the world. It's like uh, your grandmother always said, two ears, two podcasts. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. my point being, uh, just to be like waiting for until episode three thing, this... Even though it's an hour-long conversation, it does feel like they get through three episodes as well as the entire setup for the show. So it's a lot that they're covering, and they're skipping through it very quickly. Um, But like I said, it's a good conversation, particularly if you haven't been reading obsessively every single interview with Damon Lindelof. Uh, But the things that I thought were particularly interesting, uh, one of them they did talk about, which we touched on a little bit earlier, the reveals of characters. And he was saying the whole Adrian Veidt reveal, Damon Lindelof was pretty honest about the fact that he feels like they actually may have made a slight mistake being so cagey about it. Yeah. Because his idea there yeah. was to not have people worrying too much about, oh, this is Adrian Veidt, what does that mean? Yeah. Until the third episode. And so instead, everybody focused on who is Jeremy Irons playing and potentially got upset about it. Um, right. What's, what's your take on it? Do you feel like waiting until this third episode was the right idea or the wrong idea? Abe, I- do you have any takes? Do I have any thoughts on that? Uh, geez. I mean, I get, I get why you'd want to be cagey, but at the same time, 
Uh, I I actually forgot that they were even being cagey about it because, f- full disclosure, uh, the Wikipedia entry as of like months ago said that he was Vite, and I was like, oh, I guess yeah. HBO must have made that public, and I just <laughs> missed that. Um, and so I felt like it worked kind of just fine if you – I mean, I knew who he was going in because of that, and it worked fine for me, but like I get why you might – want to be cagey, but I don't think it really ultimately hurts to have people like... Maybe I misunderstood your question. I'm sorry. Did I answer your question or, or no, did I misunderstand? No, I, I think you answered the question. Yeah. Uh, Pete, I'm curious to hear from you because you were absent for the last episode. How did you feel about the Adrian Vite of it all? Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty clear. I mean, we we after the first episode, we were talking about the possibility that he was Adrian Vite, and it it, he was kind of being that douchebag the whole time, so I wasn't like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Okay, great, yeah, great. Right. Let's we got that out of the way. Let's roll," you know. And I feel like it was cool because we got a lot of that in this episode. So I wasn't like mad. I was kind of like, "Okay, listen, three episodes in." Here, we're going to put some more chess pieces on the board. Now we can all play type of thing. Right. I mean, for me, I don't know why they were so cagey. Is it to set up this episode three reveal where he's wearing the outfit? Because it's so embarrassing. uh, And it's like it it takes him uh, out of being a hero that it's better that we know. And he makes this big. I'm Ozymandias. And it's like, yeah, dude, I know you're it doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, it it. To me, this was sort of reading the between the lines of the interview, but it felt like uh, sort of I was about to say a leftover, but like it's it's something <laughs> from from his previous days of building puzzle buck stuff with Lost and the leftovers and right. everything else, uh. where he is in this mode, and I think that's how he set it up. But uh, it worked for me. I didn't personally have a problem with it, but I do understand how there was so much razor focus on Jeremy Irons and who he was playing just right. because they wouldn't tell us. Right. Do you think when he's when he's writing he get, and he gets stressed, he's like, I don't know, put a hatch. Let's have a hatch there. There'll be a hatch. It'll be fine. That's <laughs> no, fine. We'll smoke. solve it there's later. There's smoke somewhere. Don't even worry about it. Uh, two other notes that I'll mention that I thought were interesting. Uh, one, in terms of the Vite thing, he's talked about this before, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, uh, but this is a done-in-one season, and he re-emphasized, without spoiling anything, that everything will tie up, everything will be explained, including the Vite sections, where he listed several things in there, including like the honey cake with the candles and where he is and what's going on. And that it will ultimately tie up with the main narrative, which, sure. Justin, is something you and I were speculating on the last episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, where he was very specific about, yeah, these aren't separate stories that are happening. It's not two trains running in parallel. They are eventually going to converge, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, and then the other last thing that he mentioned that I was kind of surprised about was when they were coming up with the structure of the season, uh, he specifically said that the, the Lori Blake... Uh, Angela Abar thing partially came about because in the writer's room while they were taking a break, they were watching Killing Eve and thought, oh, oh, interesting. you know what? You can have these two women who are combating in this way and it still works as a TV show, which isn't too shocking, but that it will. No. That sort of explains 
a little bit more of why that relationship is set up this way in this episode, which I thought was kind That's of really interesting. Sorry, but in case you don't watch every fucking TV show <laughs> ever, what the fuck do you mean when Killing Eve and there was like, oh, Killing <laughs> Eve. Wow, Pete. Wow, jeez. Uh, How do you fill your time? Yeah. So Killing Eve is a show on BBC America. Uh, it. You don't it, have to tell me about the show, just what specifically... About, about that show was so a, there are two be, there are two very like uh, competent in one case lethal like uh, female characters who are kind of going head to head throughout the whole series and it has a similar energy to the Angela Laurie stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a very cat and mouse thing going on as well. Right. That too. Yeah. 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 Uh, So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Again, that's another podcast. So if you do have two ears, check it out. One in each ear. Uh, The other thing, speaking of things to listen to, uh, there was also a Watchmen record that was released today. The first one. This is Trent Reznor and Atticut Ross. Stop saying fucking record. I don't know why this is a problem for you. You are (laughs) like 80 years old, Pete. Jesus Christ. Does it remind you, you of your own impending mortality? Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. Were you a roadie? Or what are you, working <laughs> a record store? You talk like you're this jaded music industry rep. Yeah. They're not Pete's records, like, man. Pete's it's like, vinyl circles. They're circles. <laughs> That's what they're called. Pete's Sound like, circles. The only thing I listen to is Zunes, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the thing that's neat about this, they're building all this uh, alternate universe stuff in the show, but outside of the show as well, which is very typical Damon Lindelof for his shows. Uh, but this is Trent Reznor and Atticut Ross. Uh, they're going to release three volumes. This first one is called, on the outside, The Book of Rorschach, and it's supposed to be an album by the Sons of the Pale Horse that is a, I don't know what you call, sequel band or whatever it is to Pale Horse, the band who's playing at Madison Square Garden the night the squid explodes in Watchmen, uh, the graphic novel, which is pretty neat. They have all this fake liner notes on there about how they built it around Rorschach's journals. And then when you actually take out the record and play it, it's the uh, tracks, the beginning tracks off of the first three episodes of the show. But it's a very cool thing. And if I uh, didn't listen to anything except Zunes, I'd definitely check it out. Uh, the other ancillary thing. Wait, Alex, did you get? Do you do you have the record? Did you I don't do you have, have it. No, I don't have the record. I just uh, saw yes. pictures of it online and grasped at my screen to try to grab it, but to nah, that's, just, that's just as good. Yeah, I think so. Uh, last thing we've talked a lot about a Pedipedia. This is Pedipedia. their version. God Pedipedia. bless. Pedipedia. I. I have an outstanding question, which I feel like I should just ask HBO, but I feel like it's more interesting to just wonder about who is writing this PDPedia stuff, because (laughs) I don't know if it's the writers or who, but it's supposed to be like the back matter in Watchmen. The three things that they put out today, uh, the first one is a memo from PD, who was introduced in the last episode, Officer PD, Agent PD, uh, and it's... Uh, him doing a skewering review of American Hero Story because he managed to snag two screeners of the first two episodes. And it's very metatextual, him talking about, I don't know why they needed to do this. Why did they need to dramatize this? You don't really need to delve into this stuff. And I was like, all right, buddy, I get it. I get what you're doing. Don't you think it's Lindelof? It has to be Lindelof writing that? You think so? That's what I, based on like everything he said about the show and then reading that, I was like, this is like, 
another version of him being like, did I do the right thing? I don't know. I don't know. Let's put a hatch there. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the one interesting alt-universe detail that's mentioned in there is that in this world, American Hero Story is written by the, I believe, grandson of the dude we get to see in Watchmen who wrote the script for Adrian Veidt, the uh, oh, pirate yeah, comic guy, writer who yeah, died. Yeah. Yeah, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, I thought I that was an interesting either, but detail. But yes, I know you're talking about, yes. Yeah, and it's particularly an interesting detail given that they're dealing with, uh, in the in the recent episodes, just grandchildren and grandsons and issues of, uh, I don't know, passing things down because you have uh, Senator Keene Jr. as well. So, I don't know, just yeah. more of that. Legacy, uh, yeah. The, Exactly. That That's the word that I was looking for. Uh, the two other ones, uh, there's one that is an article from the New Frontiersman uh, called mm. White Flight to Mars, where they recommend that all the white people leave and go to Mars to live with Dr. Manhattan. Oh. Uh, there's a note about John <laughs> Grisham, bullshit. who you see mm. on a newspaper, uh, is running for Supreme Court. I think by this episode, he's no longer in the running for the Supreme Court, right? Justin, we were... Uh, I think it's a different name. Okay. Grisham was in the newspaper, and this is like McLaughlin or something. Oh, okay. But uh, Grisham, in this uh, New Frontiersman thing, uh, wrote a book called The Pelican Deposition, which is (laughs) very silly. Yeah, instead of The Pelican Brief. That's how the world is different. Uh, But the Mm. last one is actually the most interesting. Uh, There's some evidence that they put there, and one is a letter from Keene Sr. to Judd Crawford, Don Johnson's character, who was killed. Uh, Judd Crawford's character used to work for Senator Keene, and I believe they say this in one of the other materials, saved his life. The most interesting thing to me is at the end, there's some obscure references from the Elder Keene talking about an order that they are all part of, and there's a logo that very much looks like a squid eye to me that kind of sent my alarm bells off. And I wondered if they might do something where Adrian Veidt was not actually in control of this plan or his plan was part of some larger plan or something like that, which seems crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they would go back and retcon. I can't see them retconning it. Yeah. That's not, I I mean, you never know, but I, I don't see that happening. Maybe more likely uh, somebody figured out the what had happened and they decided to keep the secret. And so they're like, like the, uh, what are the guys in Indian Jones and the Last Crusade who are meant to protect uh, the grail? And so, oh, they, yeah, like, the, 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 oh, the night, oh, the night, yeah. the night's oh, Templar. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like maybe that's what it is. They're protecting the secret and uh, stopping anyone who's trying to reveal it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before the we get into watching. <laughs> before we get into any of your listener tweets, uh, let's talk about the episode four promo. Justin, Pete, you guys both watched it. Any images, takeaways, things you're interested about for episode four? I mean, this one's a little lighter on uh, imagery. It feels um, Lady True it feels like she sort of owns the at least the first half of it. And then uh, introducing her, it feels like this episode is going to be like her big step into the world. And then there's some uh, Sister Knight is throwing a body or something in the garbage. Uh, Something happening there. (laughs) Uh, New tower. uh, Eighth wonder of the new world. Yeah, because they made a big 
not a big point, but it was like, hey, everybody look out the window at this tower thing. That's going to be important later. And then we kind of got this thing where it was like the tower's been updated or I don't know if this is a new world or whatever it is, but it's kind of a different kind of take. And I thought maybe if it's this thing of like, you know, you can call Mars. I'm wondering if that tower like can take you to Mars or some kind of crazy mm-hmm. shit. So uh, it's interesting. Not, not that the show has been shy about anything, but my impression from the promo, because there is so much wild, so many wild things going on there is it feels like now that we've gotten past Lori Blake, Dr. Manhattan, all of this basics of Watchmen, that the shackles are off in a way and they can start mm. to get, crazier with this imagery which is exciting to me yeah but it's also kind of insane i mean the show has been crazy since it started so it's kind of crazy to me that you're like all right now the show can get crazy it's like (laughs) what the fuck man come on man it's raining every day every day here. Uh, <laughs> let's get to some tweets uh, from you all, you listeners who sent this in. Uh, first couple of these are from uh, John George. He says, uh, and by the way, if you ever have any questions or theories or anything, hit us up, Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter. Uh, we put up a thread every Monday with the promo where you can respond there. That's Super easy for me to call them, but feel free to send them whenever to us. Uh, Vite is clearly not on Earth, and I think his servants are provided by Manhattan. The creating life comment at the end of the comment, as well as them portraying Dr. M. He's obviously being kept in a gilded cage, hence the gamekeeper, uh, Game Warden, I think, who is probably another yeah. clone. Uh, and he also says, I still think Dryberg was behind the abduction of Will, would explain Lori laughing when Angela's car fell in front of her. Not sure whether he passed on the mantle a la Hollis Mason or whether he's on the lamb. Uh, what, that's a lot of stuff there, but anything yeah, in particular? Yeah, a lot to unpack. Yeah. I, I thought she was laughing because she thought Dr. Manhattan did the car joke, kind of like the brick falling. Mm-hmm. On yeah. God, where it was like a car almost drops on Lori. I thought that's why she was cackling like a crazy person. Um, it, it, it's interesting, actually, because we talked about this in the recap, where that was my feeling as well, that regardless of what's actually going on, she looks up, she sees this red light, she thinks it's Dr. Manhattan dropping a car on her from Mars. But I saw other people online speculating they thought that it was an owl ship that she was seeing and she was laughing because she saw Dan. And I think that's kind of an interesting split in terms of what we know of the two main romantic relationships in Laurie's life, other than Agent Petey, of course. But isn't Dan in jail? (laughs) Yeah, that's what they said. He was in jail. Because that was part of the reason she took this gig is so she could break him out. Hmm. But she doesn't seem super interested in him in general. She's yeah, not yeah. calling him, and he's on Earth. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a dildo with an owl on it. She's got a blue that we have dildo. seen yet. Oh, maybe she has. Maybe she has a flaccid dildo with an owl on it. Oh, <laughs> slam! Yeah, a serious dad Dryberg slab. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Uh, here's but another one. As far as like the oh, yeah. where he is, where Vite is, it was really interesting to me that like. This guy like shot a warning shot and threatened him, but then afterwards called him master. So it really seems like it's all part of this weird thing that Vite is controlling. He's just kind of having fun with his minions. Like it doesn't really seem like that they really have any power over him because he can do whatever the fuck he wants. 
Uh, well, let me jump ahead to another one, which this is uh, somebody had a theory about this. This is Mike Beneke says the unseen game warden Rorschach resurrected by Dr. Manhattan to keep an eye on Vite, who is imprisoned on Mars. Uh, do you think this is something that I, I mean, we've already crossed several lines with the show. I can already tell Abe by your uh, groaning over there. They're not going to bring Rorschach back, right? Me? I, I mean, who knows? But I would highly doubt that. I, I don't know. What do I know? I, I, I shouldn't <laughs> predict, but I, it doesn't sound like it wouldn't be my first guess. Let me put it that way. Yeah. All right. And um, he um, was originally pitched the idea for the show, so he would know. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> well, what do you what do you think? I mean, they're not going to bring Rorschach back, right? I feel like that is something that that is done. He is dead. He's gone. Bring I the mean, comedian they, back. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to start retconning shit like that, I mean, that's just going to be. I think people would fucking really be upset. <laughs> Yeah, what if the overall plan is to bring Rorschach back to life, show him to the 7th Cavalry, and he'd be like, you're a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's uh, the 7th Cavalry is the resurrection of Rorschach, and I think we're, you know, he's, he's remixing the, uh, all the Watchmen characters, and so I don't think we'll ever get them back in a one-to-one situation. Yeah. Uh, this is from Daniel Cabral. He says, first, dear God, if that's what Lori needs to remind her of Dr. Manhattan, then good for him. I thought she took out a Dyson to clean up the place. Uh, second, clearly her relationship with Dan, a.k.a. Night Owl, ended as soon as it began. Her love for Dr. Manhattan is still very strong. This is, I would say, the big conversation I've seen online. Certainly that enormous blue dildo is... Uh, like, you can't not talk about it or think about it. Uh, but <laughs> I've seen a lot of contrasting opinions in terms of what it meant, what the impact of it is, what it said about Lori and her relationship with Dan or Dr. Manhattan. What's all of your take on it? I mean, just because someone has a giant blue dildo doesn't mean that she can't love another person, right? I mean... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> if I had a dime for every time I've heard that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, what I do, don't know. What do you think? I, 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 I don't know. I just, I always feel bad, like, trying to predict too much about, like, what's going on in character motivations, like, this early. You know, we, we just saw Lori. Like, I, I don't know what's going on inside her head exactly yet. She clearly has affection for both Dan and John, but, like... You know, I don't know. I, She's I don't, also cold as ice and has no problem shooting people. Sure, yes, but, well, I, again, I, I can't yeah. read her mind. I'm curious to see how they, they end up playing that out. I mean, the the dildo is sort of the flashy version, but I think the when she's talking to Dr. Manhattan on the, the Mars phone and she actually yeah. starts crying and feels genuinely, like, lost without him and... I think that's more indicative of her actual feelings, and I think, yeah, the the relationship with with Dan it feels more like a flash in the pan. Hmm. Except uh, for the know. fact that she is keeping an owl in a cage, and it certainly seems like when Keen Junior comes up to her and wants her to go to Tulsa, the thing that ultimately convinces her to go yeah, down there exactly. is the fact that she can get potentially Dan out of prison. I feel sure, like she's right. the, the owl is her watching her roommate's pet kind of a situation. Oh boy, that's her owl, man. 
Oh, you think so? You don't think that's his owl? How long do owls live? <laughs> that would be Ooh. so confusing if it was like, oh, this is an unrelated owl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I don't mean her. I mean, relationship-wise, it's like she's taking care of the mm-hmm. owl that's Dan's. It's not an, another owl that <laughs> happens to be a pet. <laughs> I I, honestly, I hope Lori doesn't have a roommate at this point in her life. Yeah, that, <laughs> that would be kind of crazy if there was just a regular guy in the middle of that seat. And I was like, sorry, I just need to get some cereal real quick. Hey, you guys <laughs> want some ramen? I actually made a double batch of ramen if you want some. <laughs> it's not. Uh, FBI agent doesn't pay a lot, you guys. I was really no. hoping the uh, show was going to just kind of derail into a who's on first bit for a while, and I was a little disappointed it didn't go on longer. <laughs> uh, yeah, the director's cut. Uh, yeah. Real quick, uh, just a couple of more Twitter questions. Uh, this is from Tracy Todd. Do you think Agent Petey is going to take up the mantle of a costume hero, and do you think Lori will eventually attempt to break out Jan Dryberg the way she and Dryberg helped Rorschach escape from the prison in the 80s? Uh, what do you think about that? Is PD going to suit up, and are they going to break out Dan Dryberg from prison? I feel like PD's already maybe suiting up. Like that whole mask joke he did on the on the plane was kind of. I mean, why do that if you're not going to have him suit up? Well, he uh, did though. In the after they slept together, he was wearing the oh, mask. Yeah. yeah. So that was yeah. the payoff of that. I mean, if he's going to be any hero, it feels he's very night owly, like mm-hmm. really reverent of the past, like sort of uh, a little geeky about everything. Yeah, she's he's got a, a type, and she is definitely uh, going for it. But I feel like, uh, as far as like her, you know, uh, getting back out there and suiting up, uh, it doesn't seem like it. She's, I feel like, closed that part of her life. Yeah, but what about Dan Dryberg, though? This is I've seen a lot of people speculating about when we're going to see Night Owl. Personally, I'm of the opinion I don't think we're going to see him at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think we see a Night Who's Owl Who's flying three. the ship, though? Who's flying the Night Owl ship, then? Maybe a new Night Owl. I mean, we, there's Legacy. That's another thing in the uh, promo for Episode 4. And Night Owl already was a Legacy character, so it makes sense it would be a third I think, and and that's another reason why I don't think she's going to break him out. It's been 30 years she hasn't made an attempt uh, that we know of to break him out. She is putting vigilantes in jail. Why is she going to rescue this one owl man? Yeah. Why are you going to rescue one owl man, buddy? Uh, This is from Rockdale Tiger. PDPD's evidence letter gives some insight into how Judd came into possession of the painting. More evidence that the robe was passed down. And what is the order? Clan? Something more? Uh, Sorry, I forgot to mention this, actually. So they actually explain the title of the episode, the martial feats of Comanche. uh, What was it? Horsemanship. What? Horsemanship, right? Horsemanship. Uh, So that was a gift from Keene Sr. to Judd Crawford. And the interesting detail they have in there, which they explain at length in the letter, is that the reason it has that title is because it's actually a copy by the artist himself because he didn't want to give away the original painting. So 
Uh, mm. Certainly things you could potentially read into there. Uh, and he's also asking about what is the order that he refers to, which we talked about a little bit earlier as well. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to mention, this was actually something uh, that came up on our Patreon Slack. If you'd like to join that, patreon.com slash comic book club. Uh, there's been some great discussions about Watchmen on there. Uh, Justin, this is huge news. This is from Will on the Slack. He says, breaking news from 20-ish years ago, I just found out that Damon Lindelof wrote for Nash Bridges back in the day. I knew it. That's the connection point we've been missing. Yeah, My <laughs> murder board is complete. Nash Bridges is who Don Johnson is playing in this show. Yeah, there you go. It makes yes. sense. Absolutely all makes sense. Uh, Great all reveal. of you, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Abe, thank you for oh, being here. It's always a pleasure. I'm a big fan so of you. So great to so, have you. Yes. Yeah. Keep keep on watching. You're, you're our muse. Oh, you're our yeah. muse. <laughs> what would you like to plug? Is there anything of yours uh, you'd like to plug you before know, you go? I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter, but you can always follow me there. It's uh, twitter.com slash Abraham Joseph. You can go to my website, and that is abrahamreisman.com, uh, R-I-E-S-M-A-N. But you can also misspell it and do R-E-I-S-M-A-N, and it still redirects to the proper site because I'm a genius. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep an eye out. I'm, I'm currently writing a biography of Stan Lee for Penguin Random House, and it's supposed to come out fall 2020. So that's not uh, right around the corner, but keep, keep your eyes peeled couple of things on our end to plug before we wrap up here. We'll be back with the regular recap podcast right after the episode on Sunday, so do check that out. But in the meantime, as mentioned, you can follow us at Watchmen Watch One on Twitter, Watchmen Watch Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. You can subscribe and comment. Please do comment. It helps us a lot on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. 